Our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 21. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 to 21. So before we read that, we'll pray and seek the Lord's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. Our Father, we pray that you would receive these words as the very words of God, and we pray that our hearts would be made open and ready for such a thing. Lord, please give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are willing and obedient. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 21, starting our reading at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Amen. May God bless his word to us. And so finally, after all these years and after all these continual promises, after some false starts, and Ishmael is definitely a false start, finally, Abraham gets the promised child. Now, isn't it interesting? God's promise to Abraham was that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that nations and kings and great multitudes will come from his loins. And in a way, the fulfillment of the promise was another promise. What do I mean? 
Well, there's one and only one promised child, and his name is Isaac. And one child is in himself, neither a king nor a nation nor multitudes of nations. Abraham's faith led him to being the father of Isaac. That's what the scripture tells us. His faith did not fail. He did not take into account the fact that he was old. God had promised he would father this son, and so ultimately he fathers this son. Yet the son himself is not actually, in a way, the total fulfillment of the promise, but the son himself is, think of it like this, he is a stepping stone to the fulfillment of the promises. And that's something like our Christian life, my friends. We're saved. We have eternal life. We're in Christ. We've been given a new nature. All of these things are true. None of these things can be taken away from us. But where are we in our Christian life? The one promise has basically led us to the point where we can see the fulfilment of further promises. We're looking forward to the day when we're with the Lord in his very presence, perfected, resurrected, exactly what God intended for us to be throughout all of time, for we are his elect and beloved people. But we're not there yet. We've got promises. The promise is that we would find salvation and eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we are in Christ and we have salvation and we have eternal life. And yet even as we have it, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to that life. We're looking forward to that life in the presence of our Saviour. And so Abraham gets the fulfilment of the promise and the fulfilment of the promise basically says to Abraham and now just keep on working and keep on believing and keep on obeying and continue to live in faith because there is more yet to come. Fulfilment is yet to come. You've got fulfilment and there's going to be more. And that's the Christian life. Every hilltop only shows us that there's another hilltop to get to. Every time we see a little bit further forward, what we see is that there's further to go. The water's crystal clear, but you can't see to the bottom. And that's the life of a believer. It's very interesting, right there at the start of chapter 21 in that first verse. The Lord or Yahweh visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord or Yahweh did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, I just point these things out to us because we forget them. We always forget them. We think we're scientific people. We think we have scientific knowledge and we do. In terms of science, we have far more knowledge than any generation that ever went before us. If, if, you're, if you're inclined to want to study science, I mean, you, you'll learn more than people were learning 50 years ago. There's, there's an enormous, vast amount of scientific knowledge in the world at this time. But here's the thing. In that science, we say we know how babies are made. Man meets woman. You know, spermatosa meets ova. Pregnancy results. That's scientific. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Okay, we know the mechanical means, if you want to put it that way, by which... A woman becomes pregnant. 
We know the mechanical means by which any warm-blooded creature is going to become pregnant. Any warm-blooded creature, that is, that carries an unborn offspring. But here's the thing. The Lord visited Sarah. I mean, we can, we can extrapolate this out into basically every life that's given. The Lord visited Sarah. Sure, we know the science. But Sarah fell pregnant because the Lord gave her a child. And think about this furthermore. This is not a virgin conception, which is how the Lord Jesus came into the world. Remember, Mary knew not a man. The power of the Holy Spirit granted life. The power of the Holy Spirit put life within her. Sarah spent time with her husband, Abraham. And the Lord visited Sarah. They were doing the normal thing and God made the normal thing powerful and effective. God blessed it. The Lord visited to Sarah. Did Abraham make Sarah pregnant? Well, you could say he made Sarah pregnant. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, this is, I know we're in the sort of touchy ground here, and and I agree, but I want you to understand something. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and read verse 4. Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honour among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For the sexually immoral and adulterers, God will judge. Think of it. Marriage is to be held in honour among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For the sexually immoral and adulterers, God will judge. Abraham and Sarah come together as a husband and wife normally come together. And the Lord was present. The Lord visited Sarah. And if you look up that word, if you take it back into your lexicons and you look at the Hebrew, it's visited, came along, visited, arrived, was at that place, came to oversee. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Marriage is to be held in honour among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for the sexually immoral and adulterers God will judge. My friends... You see, we as Christians, we make babies the same way the world around us makes babies. But our marriage bed is undefiled. And the babies that we get, God gives us. The Lord visits us. So just just thinking of some ways that we can apply this knowledge that the scripture is giving us. Sexual relationships, the way the world practices them, you're looking at a world of uncleanness. Honestly, lust is defiling them and they are defiling themselves through evil and wicked behaviour. But the act itself that God created, a man and a woman in marriage coming together, the woman having been given to the man by God himself, it is not unclean. It is not unclean. The Lord visited Sarah. How can we we understand that? Well, the Lord visited Sarah 
when Abraham went into her, to use the biblical expression, Abraham went into Sarah and the Lord visited Sarah. Our marriage beds are to be undefiled, kept pure, kept holy. We're given one to another. We're not given to others. We're not to share it around. And my friends, the Lord visits with us. Think of it. The Lord visits with us. That's, you know, this is according to God's creation. God put Adam and Eve together. God gave Adam and Eve children. When Eve had her first child, she had said, she said, I've gotten a man by the help of God. The Lord visited Eve. Our children come from God and our duty is to give them back to him. When Hannah got a child, well, the Lord had visited Hannah. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 21 speaks in this instance of Hannah having further children after she had Samuel. And it reads, indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Remember, she had Samuel and what was her expression? When she, when she spoke to the priest concerning the son Samuel that had been given to her, the Lord has given me this son and I am lending him back to the Lord. Lending him back, giving him back, sending him back. Our children are given to us by God and we have a duty to give them back to God, to get them in the way, to send them in that direction. But interestingly, what we're going to study today tells us that we can't do that in our own power. It's not possible. There's no salvation to be found in any worldly father. Salvation is is to be found in Christ alone. So reading on, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. If you um, don't realize the name Isaac is literally just a slight deviation or derivation of the word laughter. And so the word that appears most in that which we just read, these first um, seven verses of Genesis chapter 21 is laughter. There was laughter, not laughter in any wicked sense. There was laughter. There was great happiness. There was rejoicing. There was laughter. Sarah, laughing. God has made laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh over me or perhaps with me. God has given us this thing which brings to us laughter and Abraham in, in, in obedience to the commandment that God had made that we read in Genesis chapter 17 is calling his son Isaac laughter, rejoicing. There are people in the world who think that we ought not be having children and there are people in the world who think that infertility is a very good thing. Well, I'm telling you that we ought to be having children and we ought to be filling the world and we ought to be exercising dominion over it because that is God's plan. And there is laughter. There is laughter in the conception and in the birth of children, especially amongst the people of God. We love children. We love our children. 
And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham. There's the word again, laughing. Laughing. What was he laughing about? Well, we don't honestly know. We're not told what made him laugh, although in the Hebrew, the word is more intense. There's laughing and then there's sort of laughing plus. And in the Hebrew, he was laughing plus. He was laughing intensely. He was laughing uproariously. I mean, perhaps he was making a foolish joke. By this time, he would have been something like 13, 14 years old, Ishmael. And perhaps he said something along the lines of, well, he might be the child of the promise, but I'll always be the oldest. And that's the sort of thing that a kid would say. Laughing. But Sarah was not amused and not willing to share in Ishmael's laughter. And so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Notice once again that God's way of dealing with people is not the same in every instance. God's way of dealing with Ishmael is not the same as God's way of dealing with Isaac. God's way of dealing with Lot was not the same as God's way of dealing with Abraham. Ishmael is being sent away. Ishmael is not the son of promise. And nothing that Isaac can do can change it. My friends, there is salvation in none other but Christ. And Abraham saw Christ's day afar off and rejoiced in it. Salvation is not to be found in having certain parents. It's not to be found in being members of a certain church. It's not to be found in being baptised even. Though baptism is a good thing and being in church is a good thing. And if you've been raised in a godly family, well, you're certainly being blessed. All of these things are good things. But salvation is not to be found in any of these things, though God might use them to bring you to salvation. Salvation is to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. Your faith must be in Jesus. Your trust must be in Jesus. There is no other salvation. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. This is what the scripture teaches. Abraham, as a godly father, as a man who was called the friend of God, as a man who was in covenant with God, could procure for Ishmael a blessing. No, I'm repeating myself, but I don't mind. Some things are worth repeating. He could secure for Ishmael a blessing, but he could not secure for Ishmael salvation. He could not bring the promises of God and rest them on the shoulders of Ishmael. He could give Ishmael bread, he could give Ishmael water. But God was not going to make Ishmael the child of promise. And so the commandment comes, cast him out. 
Abraham now hears the voice of God, as it were, from Sarah. And that's confirmed to us in the New Testament. Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Husbands, guess what? Sometimes God speaks to you through that woman whose hand he put in your hand. Sometimes she tells you things you don't want to hear and you're expected to hear them. Sometimes she has wisdom that you don't have and you're expected to understand it and appreciate it. Why is my wife smiling at this moment? All right, sometimes, sometimes God speaks to us through the words of our wives and we are to listen. That God has set man at the head of a household does not mean that God has told a man, seal yourself in a soundproof chamber, pay no attention to what anyone else has to say, you're right about everything, assume that you're always right about everything, jump to your own conclusions, make your own decisions and force everybody else to fall in line. All right, that is not Christian headship. That is not godly leadership. That is not what God has said to us. Now, Adam got in trouble for listening to his wife at the wrong time. When God passed judgment on Adam, God said to Adam, because you listened to the words of your wife. And in that instance, Adam listened to the words of Eve over and above the words of God. We're never to listen to anyone's words over and above the words of God. But in this instance, God is speaking to Abraham through Sarah. Listen to what she is saying. Whatever she says to you, do it. Heartbreaking thing for Abraham. Heartbreaking. Imagine you've got a son. He's 13 years old. He obviously loves him. Remember, Abraham has interceded for Ishmael before. Oh, that Ishmael may stand before you. God's answer? No, but. No. Simple, straight out, no. He loved this son. He loved this son. I'm sure all of us have got family members who are not in the Lord, yet we love them. Well, even so, God has his purposes. This is already, in a way, starting to prepare us for, for, for an um, episode that's coming up a little bit later in the book of Genesis. Remember, there were twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, twins born of the same parents, born of the same birth. They weren't just roommates, they were womb mates, to quote a joke. And yet, what does God say? Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans that this is that God's electing grace may stand. God may choose whom he will. God may reject whom he will. God sets his heart on particular people. Our God is a God to be feared, my friends. Our God is a God to be feared. We're not playing with little things here. Okay, the, the, the worship of the living God, learning from the scriptures, being a Christian, obeying God. We're not playing with small time things here. 
There, it, it's very easy in our lives to get our um, priorities all messed up and to have things dominate our thoughts that ought not to dominate our thoughts. And we think that houses and land and, you know, how children do in terms of their career and school reports, we think that all of these things are the most important thing. At times, you just get distracted. Work, whatever it may be. Money. And I'm not saying that these things are utterly unimportant. We live in the world that we live in. We live in the times that God has given us. We live with the families that God has given us. They're important. But understand this. Our God is a God to be feared. He is a God to be feared. He chooses whom he will. He rejects whom he will. He judges according to his own righteousness. Not ours, not according to our standards. He owes nobody anything. He is in no one's debt. God is nobody's debtor. He does as he will. As he wills. And here, Abraham is told to cast out a son, send him away. In a manner of speaking, his son Isaac also loses a son because Isaac was the father of Esau. And Isaac is told that, no, Jacob I have loved. And furthermore for Abraham, well, what's the high point of Abraham's walk of faith? In a way, he's going to lose even Isaac because he's going to be told to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac himself over to God because only God can save and only God can fulfill the promises. And so Isaac must be given to God. Abraham cannot save. He can secure a blessing, but he cannot save. Only Jesus can save. Only Christ can save. And so here we have this test of faith for Abraham. It's another test. Remember, every time you top a hill, you look forward and there's another hill. There's another test. Keep growing. Keep leaving things behind. Keep taking up the cross. Keep following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Every victory is only preparation for the next battle. And every defeat is only preparation for the next battle. Because you're just going to keep fighting until it's victory. That's the way God deals with his people. That's the way God deals with you and I. And so he gives them water and he gives them bread and he sends them off into the wilderness. They're gone. Sent away. The harshness of it. And I mean it. In a way, it's harsh. Could you do it if you were put to it? Maybe not. Sent away. Reading on verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And so here we have Hagar. Remember, Hagar had at one point in time run away from Sarah. Sarah had dealt with her harshly, putting her back in her place, reminding her that she was the slave girl, that Sarah was still the mistress of the household. Bring your rebellion into line. And now she's sent away again. 
And this time she's sent away with her son and it appears to her that she is utterly and totally abandoned. It appears to her that her son is sure to die. Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So the promises that Hagar had received when she first met with God back in the day, when she ran away from Sarah, they're repeated to her. The boy will live the boy will have a certain amount of blessing. The boy will become a great nation. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. It's interesting. To me, it's very interesting. I wonder, okay, the possibilities. Previously, there was no well, but God miraculously put a well there at that moment. And God opened her eyes and she saw it. That's a possibility. There's a possibility that there was some kind of darkness over her eyes, some kind of delusion, and she could not see the well even though it was there. And then God opened her eyes. He took away the scales, as it were, and showed her that which she had not been able to see all along. I think it's probably the second. You see, this woman... And her son are now totally and utterly in the hands of God. Abraham sent them away. God released them, as it were, to the providence of... I'm sorry, Abraham released them, as it were, to the providence of God. And now they are totally in the hands of God. She could not see the well. Why not? Because God was bringing her to a point of desperation. Why? Because God is dealing with people. That's how he deals with people on certain occasions. Sometimes you have to be broken down. Sometimes you have to be brought to the low point before you give up on your own strength and before you give up on your own abilities and before you actually start to trust in God. Sometimes God must break us down to, as it were, nothing. God opens her eyes and she sees the well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He was a hunter. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. My friends, all the nations are in the hands of the Lord. All the peoples are in the hands of the Lord. People see what God is willing for them to see. When people are under a strong delusion, we're told in the New Testament that it's God himself who sends that strong delusion. When people's eyes are opened, we're told that it's God himself who opens their eyes. When people finally see what it is that God has done, and I'll say in this point what God has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, when people finally see what God has done, they see it because God has taken the scales off their eyes. We preach the truth. We put the truth out there. We hope that people hear what it is that we have to say. But in the end, it's God who makes it powerful. It's God who gives the life. 
There is no life to be found in anyone other than Christ. Therefore, we preach Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ and him resurrected. We preach Christ and him reigning on high. We preach God, the eternally begotten Son of God, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to God, the only one who reveals to us God, the only one who can save, the only Lord and Saviour. Nobody will come to Christ but that God brings them in. We do all that we can do and we do it in obedience to the will of God. We preach the gospel, we give out the tracts, we do as we can do. We share the gospel, but it's God who sows the seed. Remember, Abraham went to Sarah and Sarah conceived, but she conceived because God visited. Well, my friends, people come to faith because you can think of it in this way, God visits. Life comes from God. Life is not found in any other way. I love it if um, you talk to people about science and, you know, people hold to the theory of evolution and things like that. And you talk to them and you ask them, how did that which was sterile become living? Okay, you say that there was a big bang. You say that everything was flung out into the universe and the universe was created by the big bang. Well, the big bang didn't make things come to life, did it? You know, you've got material out there doing whatever it's doing. You've got a planet, for example, our planet, that somehow or other has been drawn together, you tell me, by the laws of physics, etc., etc. And there's nothing alive on it. It's just, a, it's just a concentration, you tell me, of dust. You know, cosmic dust drawn together by gravity that becomes rocks, etc. Okay, there's nothing alive there. You know, if, you, if we go into the, the, the driest, hottest part of the Australian desert, and I know, for, I, I know, I've seen enough nature documentaries to know that if you actually dig a bit under the sand or whatever, you'll find something living. There'll be a scorpion, a beetle, a bug, whatever. There'll be some kind of bacteria living in some kind of moisture under a rock or whatever. But if you went into that hottest, driest part of the desert and all you can see is red rocks, sand, and red dirt, bare red dirt, well, that's, that's giving you some idea of what I'm talking about. Nothing that you can see is alive, only in this instance, I'm now talking about the beginning of the earth and there's nothing alive on it, nothing whatsoever. Explain to me, explain to me what law of science took that dead dry dust or wet dust, I don't care, took that which was dead and not living and somehow or other gathered it into the necessary complicated chains of chemicals and molecules that you need for it to become a living cell. Explain to me how that happened. Explain to me one law of science that says that that's even possible. There ain't one. There is no such law of science. There is nothing like that. That's why when you start to read their writings, they come up with this thing like, well, how did life come to Earth? Well, perhaps perhaps an asteroid or something fell to Earth and life was within it. All right, how did life start on the asteroid? Oh, well, perhaps the asteroid came from a place where there was life. All right, how did life start in that place? I don't care where you think it came from. 
In the end, you go back to this empty universe that was started by a supposed Big Bang with nothing at all living in it, and you've got to tell me how matter that is not living becomes living. Anywhere. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a very intelligent man, a a lecturer. I won't drop any names or anything like that. I'm not trying to impress anyone. But he said, um, it's interesting. He, He just read, I mean, this man is highly qualified. He's one of the most intelligent men that I've ever listened to. And I think he's on the journey to becoming a Christian. But he read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He said, you know, I've gone all over the world. I've studied everything I could lay my hands on. I've read everything I can read and I've come to this conclusion. There's no better explanation than that. There's no better explanation than that. It doesn't get any clearer. It doesn't make any more sense than that. It's pretty amazing. As I said, I think this man's on a journey. I think he's on the journey to becoming a servant of God, whether he's aware of that or not. Life comes from God. Physical life comes from God. So where in the world could spiritual life come from? Well, once again, in the book of Genesis, we're told that God breathed life into the man. God gave the man life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, if you don't know the play on words there, breathe the breath. The Hebrew word is the same as the word for spirit. God gave man a spirit. God gave man life. God took something that was dead, dirt on the ground, and he gave it life. He breathed life into it. Well, if we're dead in our sins, if the wages of sin are death, how do you get from being dead in your sins to being alive over again, and this time filled with eternal life? If it is God who gives life in the first place, it is God who gives life in the second place. There is only one who can give life, and that one is God. There is only one who can bring you to salvation, and that one is God. There is only one who can awaken your heart, and that one is God. There is only one who has the power to play with the human heart, and that one is God. And God might use means. Abraham went into Sarah in the normal human way. And God used that means to miraculously give them the child of the promise. And we might speak to people in the normal human way, but God uses our words to get into their hearts and bring them to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. God deals with people according to his sovereign will. God gives salvation whether God uses secondary means or or does something directly of himself, it's still God who's doing it. And so we don't have anything to glory in and we don't have anything to boast in. If we do something right, if we preach the gospel, if someone is converted, we didn't convert them. I didn't convert them. God did it. 
I'm only a man. I don't have the power to play with a human heart. I don't have the power to take something that's dead and bring it to life. But if life comes, life comes because God gave life and for no other reason. Remember, I said to you, as we study the scriptures, we're not playing with small time things here. Okay, this is this is. These are the greatest things that we can bend our minds to. These are the greatest things that we can study and learn. God is a great and glorious God. God can give life where once there was death. God can give life to a 90-year-old woman by a 100-year-old man and he can bring forth the child of a promise. And God can do the same for people with regards their hearts of stone and he can give them living hearts that beat for him, that worship him, that love him, that serve him. And so, my friends, it's up to us to pray and to obey and to keep preaching that word of truth. And it's for us to pray for people that they will hear that word of truth. It's up to us to bring people into the kingdom of God. And though God uses us, we don't do it. And that's the way it's always been, my friends. God is sovereign. Ishmael, Ishmael was not the child of promise. Isaac was. So God is to be feared and it is God who grants the forgiveness of sins and it is God who brings to life. My friends, if you want peace with God, you've got to beg God for peace. If you want salvation, you've got to turn to Christ seeking salvation. If you want the forgiveness of sins, you've got to seek the forgiveness of sins. If you want eternal life, you've got to seek eternal life. And the only place that these things are to be found is in God himself. And if God has opened your eyes and shown you a well of water, you're expected in obedience to drink from the well that you have been shown. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, you rule over all things. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, just like a stream of the water on the ground, and you direct it whatsoever way you please. Our Father, we pray that you would work powerfully through the preaching of the gospel, that people would be called to faith and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would use even people like us to do this work. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.